What makes you happy? Um, some of you had a moment of happiness on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, depending on your tradition, when you unwrapped or opened that bag and pulled out that surprise or maybe not so surprised gift. You're like, yay, and you experienced in that moment a, 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 this, this feeling of happiness. Maybe that happiness came when you sat down at the table and the, the love, lavish feast was laid out and you began to eat and consume and, and you had this feeling of, of happiness. Maybe happiness for you is, like me, is, is a nice, great cup of coffee first thing in the morning. You know, that's, that's happiness, you know. And, and, and we all have different definitions of happiness. When your team wins, maybe you're, you're happy. When you go to the closet and the first thing you take out and try on looks good. And, you, and you're happy, you know, and you, and you feel good. And, and whatever the case may be, you're happy when, you're, when your friends are, are happy to see you and welcome you. You're happy when people like your post that you put on, on social media. You're happy. Maybe the question we should be asking is, what makes you not happy? You know, when, when your car breaks down on the side of the road, I often drive by those people and I think, I bet you they're not very happy right now. You know, as they, the hood is up or the flashers are blinking or maybe they're blinking real slow because it's been sitting there a while and you, and you wonder, that's not a very happy day. We drove down to Calgary to pick up Isaiah and came back and there was this crazy accident on the side of the road right by Olds. And I'm like, I bet you none of those people are happy right now. None of them. You know, as, as you know, semi-trucks are jackknifed and cars are in the ditch and just, it just mayhem. And all the people being diverted off the main highway onto this little side highway. I bet you they're not very happy that the one-hour trip became four hours on, on, for them on that day. When that baby in your house cries at 2.30 in the morning, you probably don't jump out of bed happy to go and look after whatever the need might be. When my son came, or my daughter, I, I can't remember, one of them woke me up and said, Dad, there's water in the basement. I'm like, no. You know, it wasn't a happy moment for me as these things came out of the drain. And we have happy moments, we have unhappy moments. But Jesus talks about the highway to happiness. Something deeper than just external realities that, that go up and down, but something more lasting, more substantial. We all want that in our life, I think, to be happy. To, to have this settled sense of, of contentment and satisfaction that's filled. And, and Jesus comes along in the first century, and he begins his ministry. He's preaching the message, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And he's doing all these miracles. And then finally, he sits his disciples down, and he has this little conversation, this sermon with them. And he begins with this idea of happiness or blessing. Let's read that again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, When he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them by saying, and he says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And he goes through this list of blessings, of, of sources of happiness, the highway to happiness. And we even 2,000 years later are like, yeah, I want to be happy. I want to experience that happiness that lasts, that doesn't, isn't just temporary and, and isn't disrupted by this life and this world and all the garbage that happens to us and the, and the pain in the next situations and the, you know, the doctor's appointments and the, you know, the bank statements and the credit card statements and the, and the, and the work reviews and all this stuff, the safety requirements blah, 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 blah. Can we wade through all that and find happiness? And Jesus is audacious enough to say that, yes, you can experience 
blessing. Now you may have seen t-shirts that have this word blessed, right? And usually when we think of blessed, right, I, I think of, okay, I'm blessed to have, you know, a wife that almost 26 years. I mean, that's a blessing, right? I'm blessed to have these four awesome kids. I'm, I'm blessed to, to live where I live and to have what I have. We think of the blessings purely in those terms, but Jesus says there's, there's, there's a deeper reality to blessing. You could perhaps translate this, oh, the blessing of the one who's poor in spirit. The word is, is makarios, which ironically, uh, you know, according to different, I've read two different versions. One said there was an island actually off Greece called makarios. Uh, Barclay on the other hand says that makarios refers to Cyprus. It was this island that, and I got a picture here of this island here. You know, you know isn't that nice? Minus 17 outside. There we go. Just look at that. Dream of the happiness. Makarios described this island that had everything you need for life that was right contained on the island. You didn't have to leave the island for anything. It's what you preppers dream of, right? As a place where you could grow things year round and, you know, harvest fish and, you know, ride, you know, it's like Swiss Family Robinson, right? You could ride ostriches and zebras and live in tree houses. Woohoo! You know, Macarios, the island. And Jesus is like, I'm inviting you to this place of satisfaction and contentment where everything you need is contained in one place. And Tony Evans in his book, Kingdom Values, talks about how we tend to want to leave the island all the time. You come to faith in Jesus Christ, you believe in him, but then you continue to look off the island for things that will satisfy and fill your life, and they don't. And Jesus says, come into the island, come into this place of blessedness, of happiness, and I've got everything you need here with me. You don't need to go outside. You don't need another car, uh, a better job, more money, another spouse, uh, more education. You don't need those things to find the truly blessed life, the life of happiness. It could be found in me. But what about you? Do you tend to keep looking off the island for a source of satisfaction? You know, if I just had more friends, if I was more popular, if I dressed a certain way, if my body was a certain type, if I had more hair, if I didn't have hair, whatever the case, you think, if these things, will they bring me happiness? And Jesus is like, actually, happiness is found in this place with me, uh, this island-like existence where everything you need is located right in one place. Blessed. It's a positive idea made enviable by God's favor. There it is, the blessed life. And he says that the people that are blessed are the poor in spirit. There we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which is a really weird term, right? Let's, let's be honest, right? Okay, Jesus, what are you talking about? It's, it would be an Aramaic idiom that we don't really understand because a poor-spirited person is that grouchy guy at work that is always cussing things out, you know? It's that, it's that cranky lady that seems to never get off that PMS, you know, kick, you know, all month long. It's just there, you know? That, you think of a poor-spirited person, right? It's that little kid that wakes up with a grouch on his face or her face and never loses it all day. The poor spirit. But, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. You know, in Greek, there's two words for poor. There, there's, there's poor that's like the working class poor uh, that maybe some of you can identify with. I, I kind of grew up in a family like this. We had everything we needed, but we weren't really rich. 
You know, we ate bologna sandwiches. I took, you know, Tupperware containers to school with stuff in them. You know, we had a jar room full of canning and freezers full of, you know, garden produce. I mean, that, that was my upbringing. I never lacked anything, but I knew I didn't have things that other kids had. That's kind of the working poor. Some of you understand that. Maybe some of you are living that right now, where, where you have enough, but just enough to make it. That's one word for poor. But then there's this other word for poor in the Greek language, which describes the utterly destitute, the beggar. Uh, very few of these in Canada, actually. I mean, unless by choice, because you don't. In Canada, you don't have to live this way, because there are so many places and things, and, and no one, no one actually lives this way in Canada unless they choose to. But if you travel to the third world, you'll see this in India. You'll see this in Africa. You'll see this in parts of Asia. People that are just have nothing. They're begging. They're skin and bones. They're they're hoping you'll throw a few you know rupees or something into their cup. And I mean, this is poverty at its absolute lowest. And he says, "This is the word Jesus chooses here. The person who is absolutely to the point of having nothing in their spirit." That they recognize that there is this, this glaring void that they absolutely cannot fill, no matter how hard they try. It's the word that Luke uses when he describes the, the rich man and Lazarus. There's this beggar that's sitting outside his door with sores, and that the dogs come and lick on his sores. I mean, he's this pathetic figure, and that's the word for poor that's used here. Poor in spirit. Maybe some of the paraphrases might help you understand what this means. Uh, the first one is, is you know, William Barclay says, Blessed is the man who realized his own utter helplessness and has put his whole trust in God. Or woman, this is a little bit older, but you know, blessed is the person. Blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived, and deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion. That's Willard's paraphrase. Or the message would say it this way, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Now, maybe you think like me, that's not when I feel blessed, Mike. I don't feel blessing when, I, when, when, I'm, when I'm having the anxiety of wondering as I go to buy groceries that there actually is enough in there to pay for what I'm going to get. I don't. I don't feel blessing when I'm going to the doctor and I have no idea where this, these tests have gone and what they're going to say to me. I, have, I, I don't experience, but it's like when you get to the end of yourself, there is the potential for you to experience God's richest blessing. But most of us are kind of like the guy that gets stuck in the quicksand. The harder we try to get out, the deeper we find ourselves going down. And Jesus invites us to this place of blessing in the most, the most unexpected destination that you can imagine. It's this destination of, of, of absolute abandonment, of, of, a, of a true declaration of bankruptcy. I have nothing. I declare myself bankrupt. I'm starting all over again. And Jesus says, this is where it starts, blessing and happiness. Um, I'll come back to the verse there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And like, how do I know if I'm poor in spirit, and how, and how do I get there? Well, this is what Price says here in his commentary. The first step to real happiness is an acknowledgement of spiritual poverty, the recognition of the fact that I do not have what it takes to be the person I was created to be. 
You were created with this potential. And Price would say in his commentary that, you know, we're, we're these tripartite beings. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And he would suggest that the body is the physical reality of our life. The soul is the awareness of that physical reality. It's, it's my mind, it's my emotion, it's my will. But then the spirit is that place where you connect with the divine. And many of us live on these two levels, but here is where happiness is found. When I make this connection with God in the spirit. But the reality is I can't fix the lost connection with God on my own. We want to. That's what religion does. It says, I'm going to try harder to please God, to make a connection, to get this, make this call get through, to get his attention. But Jesus says, you never, ever do it. But the ones that say, I can't do it, that's the starting point for blessing and for happiness. Our acknowledgement of our spiritual poverty. A recognition of the fact that I did not have what it takes to be the person I was created to be. It's kind of like this picture here. Can you imagine owning this wonderful Ferrari? The speed, the, you know, the, the prestige that would come with it, you know? And, and so you get this car and you, you open the doors and they open up really weird and there's all sorts of cool features in there. And you sit down and you, you get in there to the key or whatever it is, a little button, you press it and nothing happens. The leather is impeccable leather, you know, from alpacas, from the Chilean region of the flamingos. And, oh, you know, it's got these awesome things. And it's got all these great CD and huge subwoofers and all this stuff. And you press the start and nothing's happening. So you find a little button that opens the hood and you push it and you lift it up and there's nothing in there. It's a great car with all the features. It looks awesome. If you had this parked in your driveway, people would drive by just to take selfies with it, right? But, but in the end, it's useless because it's missing an engine. It can't, it's unable to perform the way, the way it was designed to perform. I mean, you could have your friends push you around, and that would look pretty lame, wouldn't it? Eh? I'm driving a Ferrari. It doesn't have an engine, but it's cool. You know? I mean, but this is the reality, God says. Without the engine, you don't function properly. And you need that spiritual connection with God that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be poor in spirit. It says, I, I'm missing something here. That I'm spiritually bankrupt. I, I, you know, I've got the potential. Some theologian and theological ideas are like, you are horrible. You're an awful person. There is nothing good that dwells in you. And, and Paul says that in, in Romans. But, but what he means is it's not that you, you, like there's nothing good about you. What he's saying is the potential that, that God created you to, to, to experience and live in is never going to be fulfilled until you have made things right with God. I mean, people that don't have faith can do good things, and they do good things. Secular people help AIDS orphans in Africa. Um, secular businessmen in our communities sponsor good things in our community. So we can do good things, but we kind of end up being a car like this. We look good, but we're missing a key piece. I mean, this car needs to get out on the Autobahn and go at 240 kilometers an hour. That's what it's designed for. You are designed like this car. And you never achieve your full speed your full velocity without the, the Holy Spirit of God in your life through faith in Jesus Christ, being poor in spirit, saying, I don't have what I, what, what I need to, to be blessed and to be happy and to, have, to live the life God intended for me to live. And, and, and it starts with an acknowledgement that I, I'm unable to do this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The reality is we 
we look for affirmation and support and acknowledgement in so many ways. We want, you know, we want more people to like us and to, to put smiley faces on things that we put online. Whatever it is that you do. And the truth is, Jesus says, there's only one like that you need. It's when God likes what you're doing. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what anyone else says. When he likes it, that, 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 that's, that's when you get it. That's when you discover happiness and blessing. Well, the reality is when you are poor in spirit, you get this blessing, which is that the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, or literally it's for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This reality of God's rule and reign becomes present and real in your life. That you actually belong to someone and, and, and that person is dedicated to your welfare and to your, to your best interests. Isn't that awesome? Just thinking about it, right? Who's looking out for you? If you're a kid, it's probably your parents. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's, you know, hopefully your church is looking out for you. But ultimately, when you're part of the kingdom, the king is looking out for you. You've got all these resources that you didn't have before. Oh, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And Jesus will talk about the kingdom of heaven. He'll say in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. So I understand that, that this is a special place reserved for those who are, who are interested and, and willing to and dedicated to, to doing what, what God says is, is, is important. The other thing that's really enlightening about this blessed are the poor in spirit is where Jesus elsewhere uses this in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 18, it says, at the time disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the child and had him stand among them and said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn around and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself then, like this little child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's like, you, you want, want me to put a picture for you? It's childlike faith. It's a simple faith. It's a trust in God that enables you to experience the kingdom of heaven. All the Jews longed for this kingdom. They wanted, of course, a political kingdom that would kick out all the problems in their world. But Jesus like, I'm actually coming to deal with the deep-seated issues of your heart. And being poor in spirit is the first step towards experiencing my rule and reign and protection and guidance and eternal life with me. It starts with you saying, I have not done what I needed to do. But it's recognizing that Jesus did what he needed to do. Again, back to the verse, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. They get to experience something that other people don't. This happiness, this blessing. The jazz musician Keith Jarrett 1975, went to the Opera House in Cologne and was going to do this, this concert. And he had, he had ordered specifically this, this grand piano, this, this fancy grand piano to, to play this concert. And so someone in the, in the Opera House found the same name brand piano in, in the back room and, and dragged it out onto the stage. And it was the day before the concert. And they get there and they're looking at this piano and it was like the practice piano. It was this beat up, mini grand playing it and, and some of the black keys don't work and the pedals aren't working properly. It's out of tune. His producer's like, I, I don't think you can do the concert if you're going to make him play on this piece of junk. But it was too late to get the real one in. 
And so they were, they were recording the concert. They were going to sell the, the records of this concert to people that are, you know, and they're like, man, this is a mess. This is a disaster. Keith Jarrett gets out there. I'm going to do this concert. And he just starts playing and finding the chords and playing the notes and just getting a feel for the piano. And then he starts improvising and, and starts going crazy and, and making things happen with this piece of junk that no one else could do. One of the highest-selling jazz singles was Keith Jarrett's 1975 playing at the Cologne Opera House on this piece of junk. You know, when God takes over your life, what we see isn't what he sees. We might see something that's got some black keys that aren't working and the pedals aren't functioning, but God says, I can make music with that. Just come to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. You can experience melodies that you never thought possible because of God. Tony Evans would say this. By placing yourself in the authoritative position of Christ and his rule in your life, you are choosing to let go of your blessing. What he means by that is you create your own blessing in life. You're, 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 you're self-sufficient. You have accomplished things in your life. And many of you have done very well in your lives. You have many things to be proud of. But in this beatitude, in this pathway to happiness, the highway to happiness, he says you're willing to lay all that aside in order to embrace God's blessing in your life. It's what the Apostle Paul would say in Philippians, where he says, you know, I had all these credentials going for me. Uh, no one could, could line up their CV or their, their resume as nice as mine was. But in the end, I, can, I consider it a pile of manure compared to knowing Jesus Christ. You see, he gets this. This is what, how Paul would re refer to this idea. And so some of you struggle because you are a good person. You have done good things. You are trying to, to do what God wants. And maybe you, you don't want to admit that, yeah, I, I'm spiritually bankrupt, or I, I'm unable to do enough to satisfy God. You're, you're like, no, I, I don't want to admit that. But, but this invitation that Jesus offers in the beginning of his sermon is saying, the starting point is, is zero. Laying aside your blessings so that you can experience his blessing. I've done all these things, and God can use what you've done and, how, and your accomplishments and your abilities for his glory, but it's recognizing that this spiritual component is his job. Christ did that on the cross. The empty tombs made a way for us to make a connection. So here, here's, my, here's my thoughts here. What does it look like to be poor in spirit? It's a real awareness of your spiritual bankruptcy. And again, not in a, in a bemoaning, like you are such a big loser and you're, you're, you're good for nothing. You're just a worm. Like, like, and some theological streams really emphasize that, but, but it's, it's just more of a sense of like, no, I, I don't have what it takes to make that connection that, that only God can make. Nothing I do is enough to satisfy God, but, but, but good news is he did enough for me. I can simply receive this gift. You are spiritually bankrupt, but God is willing to bail you out. He's willing to pay your debts and bring you into his eternal kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ. What does it look like to be poor in spirit? Number two, a turning away from pride and selfish attempts to gain spiritual favor. 
You know, we, we naturally want to, you know, rest on our own accomplishments, on all of our things that we've done. And we're so, but, but this is a reverse of that. It says, you know what the reality is? You know, when, when, when you turn away from that, you know, you, you, you can discover this blessing of the kingdom. It's this humble dependence on God. And of course, Jesus is speaking in the background of all these religious people. Jews who have worked so hard to hold up to all these commandments, you know, 600 plus, you know, and they're so squeaky clean. And Jesus is like, even you guys that think you're squeaky clean aren't squeaky clean. You need to trust in me. Number three, a full surrender to Jesus Christ and his authority, receiving his forgiveness and salvation. I mean, poor in spirit, I think, is a full surrender. Saying, yeah, I've failed. Uh, it's you putting up your hands, waving the white flag, and saying, I got nothing else. And, and, and he comes, and, and instead of imprisoning you, he actually liberates you. That's the beauty of Jesus. Instead of, instead of punishment, it's actually, it's blessing, it's promise, it's prosperity. And, and not in like financial terms, but in, in just life terms. The whole quality of your life changes as you surrender to Jesus Christ. Some of you struggle with that idea of surrender because you like to control things, right? It's, you know, you, you have a hard time sitting in the passenger seat because you want to, you know, put the brakes on, you want to steer, you want to turn, you want to set the pathway. I mean, we all struggle with that, but here Jesus invites us to this place of full surrender. And he's worthy of our full surrender. Number four, a tendency to give thanks rather than to complain. Gratitude replaces grumbling. This is from Tony Evans in his book. The poor in spirit have this attitude of gratitude. They're not grumblers. They're not whiners. They don't complain. And maybe you woke up this morning and we're like, oh, so cold. Oh, there's snow. You know, I mean, and you know, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you were happy to see the snow. But I mean, uh, well, what, is your, what is your go-to emotion in, in when life changes on you? And as you discover what it means to be poor in spirit, there is this gratitude that fills your life because you realize that I was so destitute, but God met me in my destitute, in my bankruptcy, and provided for me through Jesus Christ. A tendency to give thanks. Gratitude replaces grumbling. Maybe that's something you want to put it on your 2024 list. You know, I, I need to find things to be thankful for. I need to, you know, not be careful. I don't grumble or complain first and, 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 you know, see what God's doing there. Number five, a constant awareness that Jesus is king and a submission to his will before your own. You know, being part of the kingdom is like, you've got a king. And even though we live in a world that's devoid of strong moral leadership, it is. Uh, not locally, provincially, Certainly not federally. You know, we, we don't see it. You know, worldwide, we see all sorts of weird stuff going on out there. We see, you know, you know the violence and the terrorism and all this stuff out there. And, and, and the reality is you have a king that isn't like that. That he knows what's best for you. And so you say, okay, I'm going to take Jesus at his word, and I'm going I'm to put his words into practice. And, of course, at the end of the sermon, Jesus says, the person who does this is like the person building their house on a rock. It's solid, but if you don't listen to my words, you don't put my words into practice, yeah, you're like that guy that's building his house on the sand and it washes away every time there's a flood or the tide comes in. I mean, you can live your life this way or you can live your life this way. 
a constant awareness that Jesus is king. People justify their sinful behavior and, and they find ways to, to get around doing things they shouldn't be doing. And the poor in spirit says, no, Jesus is king. Even though the world says, oh, do this, do this, do this, do this. It doesn't matter if you do this. It doesn't matter if you think this. You say, no, no, if Jesus says it, then he's right. I don't care who else says it differently. Submission to his will before your own. And lastly, uh, growing humility and grace in your perspective of yourself and others. I'm always amazed at the people that just think that they are God's gift to the world. You know, like I, you know, I, I've, I've never felt that way about myself, or maybe because I'm insecure and had lots of issues growing up and just never felt like I was that kid. But boy, when you get the poor in spirit thing, you just are just thankful and you recognize that God's working in people's life at different levels and different areas, and you're just patient, and, and you know, you, you, you can tolerate things, and, you, and even in your own life, you're like, yeah, you know, and you just keep taking step by step, and that's the poor in spirit. Like in God's kingdom, his, his will will prevail in the end. We're going to spend eternity together, and so you just learn to, to navigate all the bumps in life with this grace. Many people miss out on this. Because they're so stuck on, well, I got to be right. And everyone has to agree with me. And, I, you know, I'm this and that. And, and, and God says, you know, just experience this poor in spirit, this blessing of just knowing that you're part of the kingdom and, and you're good with God and he's carrying you forward. We're coming to communion now. And the verse I have, it's not on the screen, but just, it's from 2 Corinthians. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that you by his poverty could become rich. Jesus left the throne room of heaven, took off his royal gown, laid down the royal scepter, you know, left the place where everyone is there to, to do his bidding and entered into our world, into this mess that we live in. He came. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. He, he came into our world. He left aside all that opulent wealth and privilege and power so that we could have a way to be connected with God for eternity. And yet some people struggle to believe and to trust in Jesus Christ because of the things they have to give up. Do I have to give up drinking? Do I have to give up going to the bar? Do I have to give up those boyfriend and that girlfriend? Do I have to give up, you know, my quest for wealth and success? Do I have to give up my popularity? Do I have to give up this and that? And, you know, all these things. What are my kids in my school going to think? What are the kids at college going to think? What are my workmates? What are my family going to think? What about family traditions? Even religious traditions you might have to give up. You know, and we think about all those things you might have to give up. But what are any of those compared to what Jesus gave up for you? Though he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that you by his poverty could become rich. And so I'm inviting you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you're not, I'm inviting you to believe in Jesus Christ. But we're celebrating this highway to happiness today as we take little pieces of bread, little cups of juice, and we're going to, this is what the church has done for 2,000 years. We are remembering what Jesus did. We're remembering what it means to be poor in spirit. Jesus became poor for us so we could have this wealth. And now we, we say, yeah, I, I'm spiritually bankrupt, but in Christ, I've been reconnected. He paid my debt, and now I'm, on, I'm, on a, I'm, I'm in the block now because of Jesus, and now I'm moving forward. I'm experiencing the kingdom reality, and that's what we celebrate today. Jesus died he rose again. No one's done that. And he did all that for us. 
What do we do to deserve that? Nothing. And so in humility, we come and we just say, wow, why would you do this? Because he loves you. Because he values you. Because he sees potential in your life that maybe you don't even see. And you think, oh, no one, you know, I, I, there's no hope for me. Yeah, there is hope for you. Jesus is your hope. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We celebrate that today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, today you've confessed your sins. You came this morning with a pure heart and clean hands, and, and you're ready. Worship with us. If you're, if you're not, if you're here as a visitor, you're just watching, you were invited, you don't have to participate. This is for believers in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, come participate. But you can just sit there. If, if you're not comfortable coming up, you can sit there and we have Joe's in the back there. He's going to be serving communion to those that can't. Some can't physically get up. Some maybe prefer to receive it. That's fine. Joe will be doing it. But I'm going to invite you to partake with me in communion. As we begin this journey of highway to happiness, we recognize our poverty of spirit and Jesus' poverty and coming to provide something for us that we can never provide. Eternal salvation through his blood, through his death on the cross. And now we walk in newness of life because of his resurrection from the grave. And that's what makes Christianity unique to anything else. There's nothing that compares. You can try any other journey, but you'll not find what only Jesus can provide. And so we declare that today. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes here. In this moment, we say, yes, this is the highway to happiness, Jesus Christ. And you start with a, an acknowledgement of, yes, I am spiritually bankrupt, but Christ in his riches provided for me what I could not provide. And I'm walking in the newness that Jesus Christ provides. So I'm inviting you. If you're not able to come up again, there's people going to be walking around, but I'm inviting you to partake in communion with us. Team, would you come up, and they're going to sing a song as we, as we grab our elements, and then you're going to return to your seat, and we'll partake of communion together. It's important that we do this, our last single service, so it's nice to do this, and then we'll be doing it in a different way here in the next month or two, but this is our last service together before we make room for more people next week. Uh, this is just, let's discover the highway to happiness. Jesus Christ died, rose again, coming back. And he wants you to experience life at a totally different level. And so I'm inviting you. You're going to come up the sides, head back down the middle and find your seat. And then when everyone's received, we'll partake together of communion. Again, if you don't want to get up, Joe is there. Just kind of make eye contact with him. He'll come and serve you the elements. If you're not prepared to take communion together, that's fine too. Just sit where you are and just watch and sing and just, just take it in. No, no, we're not judging anyone. We're just saying this is what we're commanded to do. 2,000 years we've been doing this as a church. Uh, this church hasn't been here 2,000 years, but the church has been doing this for 2,000 years. We're going to keep doing it until he returns. And we're told to do that. So we are orienting ourselves in 2024, the poor in spirit. Here we are. We're coming. Yes, we are experiencing the kingdom here and now, and we will experience it in the future in a way that we can't even imagine. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming poor so that we could become rich. And guide us into that journey of being poor in spirit so that we can just live and experience the kingdom reality. You are our king. You rule even now in our hearts, and you will rule forever in an eternal kingdom. We declare you as Lord, and we celebrate what you did for us today together. And we are poor in spirit. As we come, we recognize that we have 
absolutely nothing to offer you. But what we, what we do celebrate is what you offer to us, your own self. And this is, in itself is an act of faith. We say, yes, you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. You died, you rose again, and we celebrate that today afresh as we, your church, gather together in this place. Be glorified in this moment. Draw us closer to you and to one another now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, I just invite you to come grab a